0: Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida.
1: Society changes, culture changes, what we accept has changed, the rules haven't changed. Is your ultimate goal to satisfy your Savior with everything you do? God loves His Word. Do you love His Word? Because He is God, He is going to judge. There's going to be a a physical judgment upon your life. You either reveal or respond
0: for joining us for this edition of Living Faith. You're invited to join us as we continue our series entitled, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. For the Hebrew people, life in the Promised Land was a cycle. Though God had promised His people a land of plenty, He also commanded them to remember Him and His law in their abundance. The people became blinded by their prosperity and often followed after other gods, worthless idols. Each time, God graciously provided the voice of a prophet to call his people back to himself and to warn of impending judgment. Amos was one such prophet in this cycle. This shepherd, called from the fields of a small town, was chosen to bring God's message of judgment to a powerful and arrogant nation, a message so very relevant to New Testament believers who were part of Israel's faithful remnant through Jesus Christ. So get your Bible and pen ready, and let's listen in as Pastor John Beck leads us through the book of Amos.
1: Take your Bible, if you will, and let's find that Old Testament book that we have enjoyed studying these last several weeks, the book of Amos. If you're visiting with us, it is a small book in the Old Testament, and everybody else is just turning to their table of contents to find it, so you go there as well. It is a small book uh, to locate. Amos chapter 8. We'll look at the whole chapter today. Well, the fourth vision, we got, uh, if you think about where we've been, it's a book about judgment. And so, the modern world would say that you cannot preach eight straight weeks on judgment. Nobody wants to hear judgment. Nobody will come back. It's not politically correct. Well, guess what? Y'all keep coming back, don't you? We've listened to Amos. Proclaim to the nation of Israel that judgment is coming. There's no, there's no way around it. He preached three sermons. He began to share visions and he's on the fourth vision today and the last vision will conclude with a promise of restoration. We know that in the Old Testament that restoration was a promise that there would always be a remnant of the nation of Israel but we also know that in the New Testament that has been fulfilled in that remnant is through the Lord Jesus Christ and what we have today, the church. So you find Amos chapter 8 as you're turning there and we think about judgment. I, uh, as we plan our services each week, uh, we plan these services knowing uh, where we're headed. And we sang today, Oh, worship the King, oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing of his wonderful love our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilion and splendor and girded with praise. Aren't you glad that we have a, a righteous king that we can worship like that? Well, I want to ask you to think about something. He's on his throne today. Do you know that? He has always been on his throne. And uh, thank you, Eric and choir, that we are able to, in the midst of the world that we live in and so many things that happen all we can do is just bow our knee to this God of all creation and glory and worship and adore him and so as we look at the book of Amos and we look at the uh, just the impending judgment sometimes as we look into our world today and we wonder where the world has gone is it's gone to where it's always gone I was trying to calculate in my mind today, I'm not a math petition, but it, it didn't take me too long to, to figure out what 2015, the year we are in, and add 700 and something years to that when Amos was written. So for 2,715 years, guess what we've done? We've taken the Word of God and done with it what we've wanted to. And, we, we, and I say that because I think sometimes we think it's just gotten bad today. And we look around in our wonderful country and we see the way things are going and we think, oh my goodness, God must have been on vacation. God's on a sabbatical. No, it's not on a sabbatical. He's on his throne. He's always been there. But with him on that throne, I want you to consider something. Because he is God, he is going to judge. And so as we look at Amos chapter 8, I want us to think about this. When is enough? Enough. When do we just realize that we can only wander so far from the truth of God and his word? When is enough enough? The nation of Israel for year after year after year, as you read the Old Testament, they would have seasons of prosperity and then they would be judged. There would be seasons of obedience and then they would be judged. And God is looking in Amos chapter 8 to the northern kingdom and he's saying through the prophet Amos, when is enough enough? Amos chapter 8 verse 1. This is what the Lord showed me. And again, this is uh, one of the visions, the four visions that Amos has in this book. This is what the Lord showed me, a basket of summer fruit. That ought to be something we can relate to with the citrus and the agricultural world that we live in. So there's a a vision of of a, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel, and I will never again pass by them. Just chew on that just for a moment. His people of the northern kingdom said, I will never pass by you again. The song to the temple shall be wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale and that we may make the Ephesus small than the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. And you could see them using the the Sabbath festivals and their offerings and they were using them dishonestly and deceitfully. And the the strange thing about it is they were so far away from the things of God that they were celebrating the new moon coming so that they could live this life of debauchery. That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy a pair of sandals and sell the chaff as wheat. Verse 7, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water. Notice what this famine is but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, and they will be running to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And that day the the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, O Dan, And as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and they shall never rise again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your throne of glory and majesty and splendor. We thank you for your righteousness, your holiness, your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your power, your wisdom. We thank you for the truth that you've given us is that plumb line. And as judgment is pending, just as you warn the nation of Israel, Lord, I pray our hearts are right before we leave here today. Lord, I pray that we stop playing games with you and we get real and know that judgment is coming. We pray this in the wonderful, glorious name of Jesus Christ amen well judgment the judgment of God who's on his throne and I, I keep saying this and this drives me in my ministry when Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the father the next great event that will happen in redemptive history the next thing we need to look for it's not signs of the skies it's not the fulfilling of of all the secret things I, I tell people quit looking for the secret things okay look for the obvious I'm gonna tell you the next write this down you heard this from John the Baptist today the next event that is going to shape you individually is the coming of the Lord that's it because we're, we're, after, we're living after the cross. That's the great news. We have the Holy Spirit abiding within us. We've got the Word of God. We've got everything that we need just as if Amos was prophesying to us here today. The next thing that is going to happen is the day of the Lord. But until that day arrives, the gospel is proclaimed and it must be received because I'm going to tell you the judgment is coming. Notice verses 1 and 3. As we look at the day of Amos, I think it's great to apply that to our day here today. Amos was looking into a people that were prosperous. You may look around and and, and look at our life and you'd say, well, what what?" Judgment is coming. What do you mean? I'm doing fine. So I don't do things like I ought to. And so maybe not everything's right, but I'm happy and I look around. I'm in this nice place. I got my clothes on for church. Everything's going great. Nothing's bad. I, I think I kind of went through a season of that. Uh, and when I was living in rebellion, you know, you kind of test the waters and you feel like, if, if they, you know, well, I, I know I'm doing wrong, but it's okay. I'm, I'm still all right. God must be blessing it. i will to tell you. Point one, judgment is closer than you think. You know, I'm not a farmer. You remember the first week here I called a grove an orchard? (laughs) You don't remember that? That's one of those things you got to know your people. I I, I did. I was talking about an orange orchard. You know how many emails I got? (laughs) I get more emails about that stuff than all the great sermons we proclaim in the pulpit up here. I can tell you that but I do know this there's a lot of things we see right here but I'm going to tell you the judgment of God is closer than you think it is if you think about the summer harvest it was the last harvest that's point one so it's the end the summer harvest is there Amos was pleading with the nation of Israel that was prosperous and living a great life they thought and he said the summer harvest is amongst us they knew what that meant it's over the season's over but I tell you something else I began to think about as I looked at that and a a commentator uh, rightly pointed out have you ever noticed that sometimes you 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 even say in your own kitchen we better eat that it's not going to last tomorrow you ever done that it's right but it it, it can't take any more and it's kind of funny because uh, guys do this we like to smell food you ever notice that Women would just kind of look at food and say, I know that's been in there too long. What do we do? I believe it's all right. You can put that thing in a microwave, it'll be all right. As long as it doesn't smell like it's right. You know, we do. For all the women that are sitting there going, Do y'all do that? Yes, we do. God is saying, You might not have tomorrow you look at that produce and it's as ripe as it's going to get and guess what happens after it hits the height of its ripeness guess what begins to happen rottenness and God is saying he said to Amos to the Old Testament Israelites and I believe he's saying to us here today it's closer than you think I like that I look at the gospel. I, uh, you know, there are days when you preach, you want to lock the back doors. You can't do that now. It would probably be some type of hazard. You want to lock the back doors, cut the air off, and then preach on hell for about an hour. And you want to give an invitation over and over and over. Why? Because you don't know what's going to happen when you walk out those doors. And then I realize as a young preacher, if they're going to come to me, and I've got to manipulate them, guess what? They're just coming to me, and I've manipulated them. So I realized a long time ago what I need to do is preach the gospel like I believe it and know that God's got to work in their hearts. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Lord may be saying enough is enough, and judgment is a lot closer than you think. Just as that summer produce Amos said, it's closer than you think. Notice that they were saying, that what Amos is saying, they, they were singing in the temple, but he says, you know what? There's going to be wailing in that city. Secondly, we think about the judgment of God on the nation of Israel. And this was what was so ironic about it. If you remember, as we've gone through the entire book of Amos, Amos is saying, judgment is coming because of these things you are doing. And so isn't it amazing that when your heart gets right, your life is right. Now, you could, you could toy around how to say that, that actions speak louder than words, but I always like to be careful saying that because you can live a good moral life but it's only the gospel that saves. So words are very important. If you know what I mean? Words are important for our salvation. We have to hear the word of God to be saved. Just a good moral person will not go to heaven. But the idea is that judgment is a lot closer than you think it is. And, and then secondly, our life reveals who we are. I got a call this week. My grandmother is passing. I knew I had some obligations this weekend with the wedding, so I knew that there was nothing I could really do, and so Sharon and I decided, pray for me, pray for my dad especially. He's struggling, and I don't know where he is spiritually. It's my dad's mom. She's 99. I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, don't let me live to be 99. Sharon's praying, dear Lord Jesus, don't let him live to be 99. And I don't get to ride up and visit on a weekly basis like I could, but I've been faithful visiting with her. And I think every time, it's amazing every time. She doesn't know who I, well, I will say this, the, the joke around the office, is not really a joke. I make everything a joke. The only name she remembers is John. And so Judy said yesterday, maybe she's waiting on John to say goodbye. It could be every time I go, I say goodbye to her. Every time I talk to her, she doesn't know who, you know, she, she knows John. She fades in and out, and, and, but every, here's the major thing about her. Everything she talks about for the last four or five years in her 90s is about God and about the Lord and wanting people to know God. That's all she talks about. Now, she didn't grow up in a hot-spirited uh, Baptist church, and so she, I keep telling her she's Methodist. Nothing wrong being Methodist, but the joke's always been too. we got to get her baptized. Sometimes Baptists don't communicate like Baptists do, but that's all right. God's still on His throne. But I think, I you know, my dad's struggling now. I said, "You need," to, I said, "Dad, you need to quit struggling because the struggle's with you." She knows God. She's talked about it. She's lived it out. She's expressed it. You know, it, it, when you when you know somebody that knows the Lord, you know that they know the Lord is a consistency of what they say and what they do. So the idea is, when we think about the judgment of God, it's closer than you think. And secondly, when it comes to the judgment of God, the recipient's life usually indicate who's going to receive it. That's one of the problems we have in the country today. If you go out and do a poll, and I, I, I'll share this a thousand times, and because it's the most practical thing I've ever seen or come up with, I can go down any, I can go down Lake Avenue. And I can knock on every door, unless you really know each other or next door neighbors, or if you sit on the same pew and your neighbors, this wouldn't work. I can go to every door on Lake Avenue and say, are you going to heaven when you die? And that's all I'm going to ask. Are you going to heaven when you die? Yes, I'm going to heaven when I die. Is your neighbor going to heaven when they die? I doubt it. I'll go next door. Are you going to heaven when you die? Yes. How about that guy next door? No. Why do they say that? Because they look over there and they see things that aren't consistent with a godly person. But even though in their mind they think they're a godly person, isn't that that amazing? And the reason why we do that is because we look at people. I could go to any business and say, how many of you think when you die you're going to heaven? And everybody would raise their hand. Do you know that 85 to 90 percent, it depends on what poll you read, 75 to 80 percent of our country thinks they're going to heaven when they die? I don't wanna be a pessimist, but let me tell you something. 90% of our country's not going to heaven when they die. Why is that? We wouldn't be arguing over the things we're arguing about as a country. I mean, really? Think about it. This is what Amos is saying. The reason the judgment of God is coming is your worship's not right and you don't treat people right. That's all he said. Love God, love others. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Do you love the things that God loves? I mean, I could make a list if you need me to. I don't mind giving you a preacher list. God loves the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you have Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? Is your ultimate goal to satisfy your Savior with everything you do? God loves his word. Do you love his word? I read an article this week. By the way, preachers, we, ne- we haven't arrived yet, amen? I read an article yesterday that was more convicting than anything I've read in a long time. It said 54% of believers that took this poll say the first thing they look at every day is their smartphone. I read that out loud, and Sharon looked at me, and I said, guilty as charged. First thing I do when I wake up, alarm goes off, I swipe it because I'm on my phone. The next thing I do is, oh, what's happening in the world today? Here's what the article said first thing you ought to want to look at every day is the Word of God that was convicting to me now I'm saying this because guess what we live in you know more about Facebook than the holy book oh that was original somebody write that down (laughs) really is that not true and I know it's like, well, you know, you know, I watch TV more than I read the Bible. or stuff. I mean, we, we can say a lot of that. But here's the point. What do, you, what do we gravitate toward? Do we love the things of God? Do we fit church in when we have time? Do we fit the activities of living out the Christian life when we have time? Are we trying to find time to read the Word of God? Are we trying to find time to pray? If I just had more money, I would tithe. And I think God is saying enough is enough. Your life is an indication of who you love. I did a wedding yesterday. I love weddings. I love the looks on the groom when the bride walks out. Isn't that incredible? Y'all don't get to see the view I have. But guys, you remember that? I remember. I always think about it When Sharon came out, I was crying. When Sharon was come out, she was crying. But I think we were crying for different reasons. And there's a side of me that wants to emotionally harness that feeling they had standing right there and say, never lose it. Because I don't believe you have to lose that love. Amen. When you meet Jesus Christ and understood that he forgave you for your sins, you love him. And the guy that wrote that article, John Piper, the guy, the guy that wrote that article about the getting, look, checking what do you check when you first get up? He said, the first thing I want to check when I get up, the older I get, it gets better and better, or, or worse and worse. But the first thing I want to check every day when I get up is my salvation. He's Baptist. He knows he's not going to lose it. I want to rest in my salvation because I know the devil's perched by my face every morning when I wake up. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? How's your life? Is it consistent with a godly, Christ-following life? The, the, the nation of Israel is nowhere close. It's closer than you think. And our life will reveal why it's coming. Third, number verse 7, the Lord has sworn. I like that. The Lord has sworn by the prophet, by the pride of Jacob. This is what it says. Because of your pride, this is what's going to happen. What he's saying is, I've already said it. You can look at it this way. Matt alluded to this about the commandments of God. Third, the rules haven't changed. Society changes, culture changes, what we accept has changed, but judgment is closer than you think. And we're being judged by the way we live our life. Third, the rules haven't changed Deuteronomy chapter 11, write that down. I'm not going to read it for lack of time. Deuteronomy chapter 11, 13 through 28. Just write that down. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 28. It's a a replay of the law before they go into the promised land. I read it several weeks ago if you obey me i'll bless you if you obey me you'll take the land if you obey me you will be prosperous if you obey me i will be with you if you do not obey me you will not take the land if you do not obey me i will judge you if you do not obey me i will take my presence from you god says the rules haven't changed that's been around forever You know what, if you think about it, when it comes down to it, our greatest desire should be for the blessing of God on our life. And you look at that word in the Hebrew, the blessingness of God upon our life, literally means His presence on us. And and the the blessing of God on our life is, is basically this, His hand upon us. Philippians talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. It will guard your hearts. I think that's what that's talking about. The peace is that presence of God on our life. You know what our greatest desire ought to be? That no matter what we're doing or how we're doing it, we know we've got the hand of God on our life. We don't have an uneasy or a restlessness when it comes to the things of God. We know that we have, his hand is upon us and we have that peace. God says, I'll give you that peace if you just love me and follow after me and obey me. But the second we turn, his hand is gone. We know that. How many have lived that out? Amen. You can raise your hands. The peace that passes all understanding. The Lord is so faithful. He said, just listen to what I ask you to do. Matthew 7, 13, write this down. New Testament context. Broad is a way that leads to what? Huh. Imagine that. Destruction. Has that changed since Jesus' time? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many will find it. Narrow is the way that leads to what? Life, and there are few that enter by it. That hasn't changed. It's not rocket scientists. I'm not a rocket scientist. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult. If we do what the world is doing, we'll be in a big crowd, and everybody will be doing it, and everybody will root us on, and we'll take an opinion poll, and whatever you think you need to do, you do it. Everybody needs to be happy. Enter in. But guess what's waiting for us at the end of that road? Hell, death, damnation, and destruction. We looked at that a few weeks ago. How's that for political correctness? And the devil, looked, the devil has a wide way that says, man, this is like in my, it's like me. It's a buffet bar with all the pizza and ice cream you can eat. Well, they, man, what a blessing until about two hours later. Every afternoon at two o'clock, I'm going on a diet. Isn't that Satan. Come on in, everybody's everybody's enjoying it. It's it's popular, it's great, it's fun, it's entertaining. And the devil is snickering because he knows what the end is going to look like. Your destruction. This is what Satan's saying. I'm going to hell forever, I want others to join me. Do you not know that Satan understands what his end is? And here's Christ with truth. Truth. I think he's standing by that with outstretched arms with nails in his hand. He goes, here's truth. Not a lot of buzzes, not a lot of whistles, not a big crowd. But it leads to life. And if you enter by me, you'll have life. This is what Satan says, have it your way, do what you want to do. It's great, but he knows your end is the goal. Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. The world's going to be against you. You won't be popular, as popular as you once were in the world's eyes. You won't have everything the world says you need to have, but what you'll have is my hand upon your life. You'll have that peace. You'll have that abundance, and you'll live forever. Gosh, isn't that true? That's what what Amos is saying. The, The rules haven't changed. He's sworn by the pride of Jacob. And then last, it doesn't end well. When the judgment of God comes upon our life, we need to realize it's closer than you think. Our life indicates whether or not we're going to receive it or not. We think about all that the Lord is telling us. We understand the rules have not changed. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, been there, done that. It doesn't end well. Notice there in verses nine and following it. on that day declares the Lord Now he's talking about an eternal judgment in, in the nation of Israel and uh, you think about the Lord's return, we're looking at the eternal judgment upon God's wrath on world, on the world. but think about that where we are today. The sun's going to turn to moon. You see this, these physical calamities, verses 9 and 10. And I thought about that all week. There's two types of judgment here. As we think about the end is near and it's not going to end well, there's a physical judgment where things are going on. And this is what I thought about. God's trying to get your attention. It doesn't end well. Judgment doesn't end well. And in the midst of this physical judgment, it's like God is trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel. And I thought about things that happened. Have you ever, uh, after 9-11, they, they did a poll after 9-11. Do you know how many churches were full after 9-11? Do you remember that? Yes. They said about two months later, it was right back to where it was. See, sometimes calamity and things like that happen. You remember the previous messages? He said, judgment is going to come, and when it comes, there's going to be wailing and gnashing. It's going to be too late. But I think God in his patience does allow things to happen. I think about our country, great example could be our country. We're not who we used to be. And the gravest danger that we have is that we think we are. And he sends things upon us and allows judgment to come upon us physically because I believe there's two ways we can respond to it. We cry out and ask for forgiveness. It's not really a phrase, or we curse out and we get mad at God. Isn't that true? If you ever had been living, I've been living in sin before. Lived a season of rebellion, and things begin to happen in you. And there's two things that happened. Things begin to happen. I, I kind of curse out. Well, why did this have to happen to me? I don't care if it's gonna happen. I'm still gonna keep going. And, and and I love the way backslidden people try to be spiritual about things. God's not gonna put too much on a plate you can't handle, which is not nowhere in the Bible. Please do not write a card to somebody and put that in quotation marks. It's not a scripture verse. Neither is ashes and ashes and dust to dust, but that's another story online. That's one of my funny pastoral stories I'll tell you later. All things happen for a reason. Yeah, the reason is you're making stupid choices. That's why they're happening to you. I lived a rebellious life for many years, I'm embarrassed to say. And through that life, things began to happen. And I, and I just like cursed out. I didn't care. Who cares? It's just is fun. Isn't this funny? It's just make a great story down the road. And all along, God allowed it to continue the judgment, the judgment, the judgment. But one day, praise Him, guess what I did? I cried out Father, forgive me. I woke up in the pig parlor. You ever done that? So, this is real fun. Again, that's what Satan wanted. Judgment doesn't end well, my friend. There's going to be a, a physical judgment upon your life. You either rebel or respond. Judgment doesn't end well. Notice what else happens there's a spiritual judgment. Now, I, don't, I don't know if you can grasp this. Billy Graham said this years ago and got all kinds of trouble. He said he didn't know if fire was a literal fire or not. I knew what he meant by that. I mean, he didn't like say it to me personally, but I, when I read that, I knew it was taken out of context. People love to take preachers out of context. This is what he was saying. I don't know if it's fire or not. I don't want to be there. Do you know what makes hell, hell? You grasp this. This is what makes hell, hell. God's not there. I mean, hell to some of you could be watching the gator game for all eternity. And Steve Spurrier's coaching, that'd be hell for me. So I said, well, fire doesn't bother me. I won't get thirsty. I won't, listen, my friend, hell is God out of there. Do you know even a lost, the lostest of lost lives in a world where we have God's grace upon humanity it may not be salvific but we have God's grace we still have the blessings of God when I wake up and see the sun come up that's a blessing of God it shows me God is still on his throne a lost person gets to enjoy flowers and bunny rabbits and sunrises in hell there's none of that judgment of God and and you know this is what's so sad I told—I don't know who I was talking to yesterday, and I was talking, about, I was talking to one of our kids. Uh, somebody at the church was here, and I said, that I, I don't normally go to Saturday night reception, so if you ever have a wedding, and I ask, me, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I just have to work the next day. And I told this person, I said, you know how hard I have to work? And they thought I was being serious. I said, you know who I have to preach to every week? <laughs> Let me tell you the saddest thing I do every week, and I'm not saying you. I mean, so if I make eye contact with you, I'm not talking to you. To sit and see who is receiving the word of God and who is not. Somebody asked me, why do you think preachers are so tired? I said, I think we're in spiritual warfare. To stand in in the, the desk of God, the house of God, proclaiming the word of God, called as a man of God, and you're preaching the word of God, and people are sitting there saying, I don't care. That'll wear you out. I'm not a prophet. It's happening right now. God, help us when we get to the point we don't hear the voice of God anymore. We ought to run to his word and meditate on his word and call out to his word. I, can't, I think about those years of rebellion, and I, it was like I could not hear the voice of God anymore. And I'm so glad that he, he knocked me flat on my back Well, I could do nothing but look up and hear the voice of my Savior saying, come home. We look at the news today and we see the TV and we think, how in the world can people make the decisions they're making? Because they do not hear the voice of God. That's the judgment of God upon a people. When the voice of God is, Well, I tell you, I tell you, I'm gonna be one of those old preachers. I may not have an audience to preach to, but I'm gonna stand up here and preach the word of God. Bless God. A lot of preachers aren't doing that anymore. I believe I'm going to go out on a limb. I think we're going to have seasons of revival. There's always going to be seasons of revival. I think the day, and I'm involved with leadership in our Southern Baptist Convention. I think the day of the large churches dominating communities is over. Unless something changes. Some of the biggest churches in our country right now, you'd have to really listen to find the gospel proclaimed or the word of God proclaimed. That's not the word of God. You know how bad it is when I hear somebody say, well, I just don't get anything out of it. Well, are they preaching the word of God? Yes, that's a you problem, not a they problem. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be very transparent here. I struggle with my humor. Because I said, what if I didn't use humor, how many people would come back? What if I didn't say anything funny? Would anybody care to hear the Word of God, or we just go to find somebody else that would make us laugh? You see why I struggle with that? I'm not trying to be funny. It just kind of comes out. Jonathan Edwards never looked up and read verbatim every sermon he preached, and it was the birth of the first great awakening in our country. It is documented as one of the greatest preachers that ever walked on the United States of America. Read every sermon and never looked up. If you're, going, if you're not going to, I'm going to get on my little soapbox now. If you don't go to Sunday school because you just don't get anything out of it, you need to, cut, you need to get right before we have communion. If you don't come to church, if you're visiting with us, I'm glad you're visiting with us. If you don't go to church anywhere because you don't get anything out of it, I want you to get right before we have communion. Because you're either lost or God's judging you. In both cases, God's judging you. My prayer for our country and for our people is hear the voice of God. In that day, the lovely virgins and young men shall faint for thirst. What a picture of that. They swear by their guilt of Samaria and their gods that supposedly lived in Dan. and They shall fall and never rise again. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're not going to give a, a physical invitation. We're going to go right into our, our communion. Here's the invitation. I'm going to pray, and I want you to know where you stand in your relationship with God. Judgment's near. It's nearer than you think it is. And it's going to be real and decisive, and, and God is looking at the, the, every detail of your heart. It's the way that you're living your life that that judgment is going to be based upon, and God's rules have not changed. And it, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to end well unless you get right. And all week I was thinking about, how does Amos 8 and the Lord's Supper fit in? Pretty good. We don't have to stand under the judgment of God because of the blood of Calvary. I was a believer, but I was facing the discipline of God upon my life. It wasn't necessarily the judgment, more the discipline. But when I got right, it went from discipline to blessing. judgment's nearer than you think it is I want you to do something about it right now every head bow every eye closed Lord we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us life I thank you as we think about the nation of Israel receiving that judgment that today we can come and celebrate the cross of Calvary and the the shed blood for our sin and the gift of eternal life and abundant life beginning today. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And I pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone here today that's wrestling with that decision, if there's anyone here that has been saying no to the gospel, that today would be the day that they would open up their heart And repentance and faith and deny thyself, repent of their sin and place their faith in you. Lord, I thank you for the upper room that day. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for your body and for your blood. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: That's all for this edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book for the coming months. For more information about First Baptist Church of Avon Park, just go to fbcap.net. You can find us on Facebook by simply searching for First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash FBCAvonPark. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.